Jober with the Stacios channel, and I'm joined by a very special guest today, Peter Anderson. Hello, Peter. Hello. <laughs> Good to see you. Peter has been on the podcast before, and I've actually been on Peter's podcast before. It's called Sound Engagement. I called him Andrew on our first ever episode yes, together, you did. which is embarrassing. <laughs> and I don't think Sorry. you saw my face until like no, into the, I did it. Into this, <laughs> I did it. We've oh, obviously yeah. look how advanced I am oh, right. now. Here you are. <laughs> I know your name. <laughs> yeah, I know. When I first met yeah. you, you just kept staring at the paper on the on there, like, well, I, I, I think she'll give me a little eye contact yeah. in, the, in this interview. Nope. Eventually, I did, did not yeah. even. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I was just being socially awkward on accident. I looked up and there you were. No, Peter's here. Peter is a family and marriage therapist, psychologist, both. Therapist. I don't Psychologist. Yeah, therapist is fine. Yeah. And a Christian. And you have all kinds of varied interests. It's coming back to me now. You do, you, do you have an MDiv? I do. I do. An MDiv and a THM in Old Testament. I, that I got oh, over at um, Gordon Conwell, and I took some classes through the BTI, Boston Theological Institute, and some. Yeah, it was great. Yeah. So I love. Yeah. I, I have a huge love for ancient texts, and that's my little three-year-old <laughs> screaming in the background. <laughs> and, um, you know, a familiar so, sound. Yes. <laughs> I was like, is that <laughs> so my? Is that my <laughs> Oh man. And um, I love Hebrew. Uh, I love the Hebrew text, and yeah, maybe we'll get into that a little bit. Um, yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Well, you all should go back and listen to my episode with Peter. It was called Loving Others in a Woke World. We talked about a lot of stuff. I'm trying to even remember. We talked about social media and argumentation, all kinds of different things. Um, but today is going to be kind of just a therapy session for me. <laughs> I'm going to use Peter to talk about the topic of disappointment today because like I was just talking to Peter earlier before you all saw this. Um, I think 2020 for a lot of people was a disappointing year. Um, you know, obviously a lot of crazy, crazy things happened just on the political scale. Um, but also I think there was a lot of relational strain. I think a lot of that had to do with political things, but um, that just seems to be a theme. We see people talking about polarization and conflict and not being able to have relationships with certain people anymore, all because of these different factors. And obviously that's really disappointing. If you love people and you care about people and those relationships continuously prove to be painful or confusing or whatever, um, that's mm. disappointing. So I just kind of want to talk to Peter about that, um, that subject in general, since this is what he does for a living. He helps people navigate through various kinds of disappointments, um, amongst many other things. But yeah, Peter, I, I guess we just kick this off by like, do you think, am I, am I right in my feeling about this? Do you think people are leaving this year with a bit of a heaviness? Um, what's kind of your take on, on disappointment in 2020? Ooh. Very much so. Yeah. Yeah. I think, um, especially a lot of Christians, I would say, I mean, I, I, uh, translated, uh, I got the translate Habakkuk one through four. Um, and it kind of, if it's okay, I would love to read it. It's, yeah. um, it oh, just please. says that, Oh Lord, how long must I cry tears to you asking for help? And you not hear me. I call to you, look at the violence and wrongs and you do not assist me. What is it? about causing me to look upon iniquity and then causing me to stare at wicked things. Destruction and violence are before me to the point that only strife and rebellion rise forth. Whereas your law is paralyzed like a cripple as true justice falls flat. 
The result is that wicked people gather around, surround me on all sides, and so-called justice looks like a crazy person. And um, that really spoke to me, you know, big time. I think a lot of people who look at what's going on in cities across the nation, you have everywhere from defund the police to critical race theory, really taking over like a wildfire, um, our churches. Uh, I'm, I'm in a community right now, I don't mind even saying this, that probably about 90% I, of the churches have really full-blown given into um, what I would call a different gospel. Um, you know, it basically makes people feel guilty for where God has left them free. And these are people that, um, that I think most of us, uh, my family, we really trusted, we really loved, and now we don't trust anymore because they're giving a, um, a gospel that's not from the word. And so, you know, you feel trapped, you feel alienated, you feel angry. I think a lot of us do. And I probably I, one of the things I loved about that prayer that Habakkuk is giving us is brutally honest because he's like, why are you forcing me, causing me to look upon this stuff? And when God talks to him in verse five, he doesn't correct him. It's not like he says, well, I'm not doing that. And God actually, you know, he, he, he actually gives in almost and not gives in, but um, says, yeah, in a sense, I am doing this. And um, yeah, I think, uh, I think we, yeah, there's a legit, reason why we'd likely feel that way because it doesn't look hopeful. Mm -hmm. um, you have a party that I can't relate to anymore. And I don't want to, you know, I, I really wasn't a political person until recently when mm -hmm. um, things just got so extreme. I, I am pretty moderate. I, I don't look at one party as the better party. It's not, nothing like that. It's just, it's gotten to the point where the cancelization of speech um, the, the emotional blackmail that has really risen. And I could talk a little bit about that because I, I really got into many of these movements mainly with my, um, when, when I started counseling abused wives really saw a lot of the similarities, but it just seems like the people that are now going to have power soon are people that have, um, that I'm, that I think we're, we're very concerned about. And, um, I think we feel alone, you know, God um, why are you not answering the cries of the unborn? You know, that's a good, yeah. you have a, you have a party yeah. that is um, wanting to see a baby when it is born and um, disregarded oxygen. So why are, why are, why are you putting people like that in power? You know, and I don't understand. Do you not care about the cries of the unborn? Um, it feels really lonely right now. Because when you have not only, I mean, the world is going to act like the world. I get that. But when the church itself itself starts breaking apart in the midst of a, vamp, of a pandemic, it, it is extremely alienating right now. And you could really try your faith. Mm -hmm. Yeah, big time. Yeah. yeah, those are very good summary. I think that that's very true. I know for me, one of the hardest things about watching sort of the political, the way the political landscape seems to be, you know, forming rather quickly is that like you said I mean I'm not I'm not a super enthusiastic Republican by any means like I don't look at like you know Mitch McConnell or anybody I'm like those are my people but it's, <laughs> right. it's purely out of like okay which which one puts forth policies that are actually somewhat you know, representative of reality and the way things work and could actually lead to flourishing on some level. And the Democratic Party is just, I mean, it's it's such a clear delineation between good and evil. Because like you said, there's the zealous, enthusiastic love for abortion, 
the way their rhetoric is used in every way. It's it's so manipulative. It's basically slander. It's sophisticated forms of slander. And so when I just watch, you know, I watch my own friends and family get sucked into it. I see churches get sucked into it. We see, you know, apparently tons and tons of people voting for that. It's very, very hard. <laughs> it's like a heavy feeling to think like, yeah, you're right. It does. It makes you feel alone. And obviously you're not alone. There's plenty, there's lots of people who recognize what you and I are, are saying right now. But it's, I mean, it also, but it's kind of designed to make us feel alone, right? Even like the, the things we use, like the social media we use is very um, hostile to uh, a non-progressive point of view. Um, it, uh, like, um, you know, there's email services that won't let conservatives use their email services. There's, um, you know, just like the list goes on and on of all these ways that when um, we kind of find one another and are building something, it's sort of these powers that be can kind of squash it and, you know, make you start all over again. That seems to happen a lot, particularly to Christians and conservatives. And it is, I mean, it would be easy to feel kind of crushed, which I think every once in a while, have you heard, have you heard of the black pill? You know what taking the black pill means? No, I don't think yeah, oh, I don't think I've, I've heard of that. Yeah. It's kind of <laughs> like to illuminate me. Edgy edgy internet speak. So you know there's taking the red pill, which is from the matrix. Um taking the red pill makes you wake up to reality. A lot of people use it for saying someone becomes more conservative because they realize that so much of like progressive rhetoric kind of sounds good, but it doesn't really like compute to reality. So taking the red pill is doing that. Um Taking the blue pill is sort of just conforming and going with the flow, um, you know, having all the mainstream opinions about everything. And then there's taking the bread pill, which is <laughs> uh, the bread of life that's becoming a Christian. And then there's the black pill, which is like you're like it's you, be, you basically let yourself be very depressed and um, yeah. kind of gloomy. And okay. I think. There's you might have seen like Libertarian Christian had a post about no, no black pills. Absolutely no black <laughs> pills as Christians. We should not take those. We should not give those. Um, we shouldn't go into a mode of like we're doomed because obviously we're not doomed. Um, mm. But like you said, mm. it's also not a lot of reasons to be to. There doesn't seem to be a lot of reasons to be hopeful. Yeah. So. You know, I take a different stance on that. I mean, I yeah. like, I think as a Christian, I think one of the biggest problems, not, a, not, not contra contradicting you, but I think one of my, one of the reasons why, why I became a clinician as well as why I studied the new, the old Testament is because I like doom. I think it's part of our lives. <laughs> I think there's something, there is something that Christians the American Christian church, especially is very uncomfortable with sadness. Yeah. And when I lost my mother, when I was in um, school, when I was uh, 27, I really got a key for that when I lost my mom, how very few Christians were very comfortable with just sitting with me in sadness. They were just immediately wanted to go to like Romans 8, 28. And I remember feeling how, how, how that was just so kind of gross for me in the midst of grief. Um, and that's, I think it's because it, Jesus weeps, you know, it, it mentions that, you know, uh, Jesus cries, Jesus on the cross says, you know, why are you forsaking me? 
And I think a lot of Christians, they look at that passage and they immediately say, well, Jesus is just, um, he's, he's thinking of a Psalm and he's quoting it and Jesus is on the cross and he's reminded, oh yeah, I got to make sure I say the Psalm so they know that I'm the Messiah. I mean, no, no, he's really feeling a serious <laughs> amount of grief. Like he is, why are you God forsaking me? And he's the son of God. And I think, I think grief is a very Christian emotion that needs to be grasped maybe even more. Um, I see this clinically too. Some of, sometimes I see a partner, I see a couple and he's very matter of fact with her and she's really going through a very, very difficult time. And I, when I meet with him privately, I often get the sense that he's himself is very uncomfortable with his own kind of exiles, his own shames, his own hurts, his own pains, because I think the, the amount of compassion that you give to those parts that are exiled away, that are very hurt is going to mirror the same amount of compassion that you give to others when they're in the midst of hurt as well. And I think it's in the sense, like we, as believers, I think it's okay to go deep into the hurt here. Now, obviously not all the way deep, I get that, but a lot deeper than I think where we've been, because I think if there's anything, a criticism of the church today, we are immediately no longer giving the world what it most needs, which is the most important answer, which is the gospel and, you know, what, what a core, what our core issue is and what we've done because we've compromised on that is that we want to give these kind of shallow answers to pleasing people or whatnot. But I think what, when you allow yourself to go to the deeper issues, the deeper pain, the deeper suffering of the world, um, critical race theory doesn't make sense. You know, it's just kind of like a shallow answer. You're, you, I, you know, it, it's it, um, white privilege doesn't make sense. You know, all these little, little kind of plaids, platitudes, mm -hmm. they get washed away really, really quickly when you've gone deep into the, into the chaos for a little bit. Because you're like, no, that's not the answer, but there is one answer. And that's the the man that went and conquered death, as first Peter says, and then he rises again and he 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 breaks the chains. And you yeah. can't, as you know, Fleming Rutledge really kind of goes into that and in her book, The Crucifixion of Christ, how the suffering of Christ is often the very thing that so many American Christians want to pass by so quickly. And it's the very reason why the cross becomes so shallow and we need the cross. We need the cross so much more. So, so I would just say, I think it's okay to feel grief. It's okay to cry. It's okay to be like, what are you doing? Oh Lord. Um, why, you know, I, because that's so much better than the option of shall of, of platitudes where I think right. a lot of American Christians are going or denial <laughs> Um, and so when I hear Christians, yeah. well, we shouldn't go to the grief, like the libertarian, I'm like, why, what are you, <laughs> you know, I mean, what's, yeah. what is it, what is it about that, that you're bothered by? And, um, yeah, yeah. So I, I, I would just say, I, I think it's okay. I think it's okay yeah. to, to feel hurt, to feel confusion, but Hey, I'm going to God with that. I'm not, you know, I'm not gonna, right, right. um, yeah. you know, yeah. I'm man, right. I probably, uh, yeah, a better. um, Yeah, exactly what you're saying. I'm sure they wouldn't disagree with, you know, it's sort of like that, that line between grieving and fatalism, I guess, is probably that. You sure. Know, yeah, where you're hanging out at. Um, But what you said is very insightful, because I just know personally, something I know about myself is, like most Americans, I'm very uncomfortable with the idea of intense suffering. Um, I don't like to think about it. Something that like keeps me up at night is 
thinking about all the different ways that I know other people are suffering, you know, that I'm not, and I feel some guilt about that. And then I also worry about if that suffering were to ever happen to me, how would I deal? You know, and I'm always very like, um, my, my whole thing about suffering is that I am very, I spend a lot of time worrying about it and then thinking about if I were to ever suffer or someone I love to suffer, what would be the ways that I could quickly stop that suffering from happening, you know, or make it shorter or something. That's where my brain goes. And I think what you're saying is helpful in reminding um, me and probably other people that suffering is a normal part of life and there's no guarantee that it's going to be just this little short uh easy type of suffering you know or like a temporary like if we just get through this little you know a month of suffering or even a year of suffering it can be longer than that and that unsettles me but even saying it out loud is like a reality kind of a good feeling too yeah yeah, well, you know, Jordan Peterson makes this point that, um, you know, he says, and I just listened to something by him, and he was saying that how, you know, creepy men who are pedophiles never pick on the kid that is wise in suffering. He always picks on the kids that's totally naive. And it was very insightful when Peterson said that because I've seen that clinically with people that have most been, been most taken advantage of, whether it's by abuse, uh, abusive men or abusive women or, um, or uh, coddling parents who stifle their kids from ever making a decision or from, um, you know, uh, grandmothers who continue to capitulate guilt upon their children and then their grandchildren for basically not coming over every single day. And because, and because they do, they have neglected them and they're, you know, just so many, so many things. And I think a lot of it has to do with taking advantage of people that are overly naive and not saying that what you're saying is you're naive. <laughs> you get yeah. what I'm saying? I don't like suffering yeah. either. My goodness. It's not like, I'm like, right. God, yeah. give me suffering. <laughs> I like, yeah. I'm very yeah. comfortable. I like being comfortable. Um, <laughs> but you know, I think there is an element of, uh, yeah, there's an element of what Peterson was saying, which is so brilliant that it's like we go there not because we like it, but because so that we can, I don't know if I could swear on your podcast, but <laughs> so that we could really smell the bullshit, you know, a whole lot quicker. And, yeah. um, you know, and yeah. that's what I think we kind of need that. We really do. And it's just like when I meet with, um, I, I think, you know, especially with, with, unhappy, unhappy Christian couples. I think they were told so much in the beginning, so many of them that my partner was supposed to be my all in all. They were supposed to mind read all of my desires. They were supposed to understand all of my, you know, all of the things that I really wanted to do and they just don't fulfill me. And I think what it comes down to is that they had this expectation, this ideal that just never really was fulfilled. It was a very high ideal and because of that, they bring that same discontentment to their partner and the partner feels often just like labeled and, you know, I can never get away from her or his label ever. And I think what suffering really does is that it just kind of chisels away all of the nonsensical answers, as I said before, and soothes out this kind of this, this core need on, on what is going to help us survive to the next phase that is going to yeah. be essential for wherever we go in the next in through all of this. And we need to come out 
that's what I think purity is through fire, you know, a fire just right. chisels away all of that. And is God giving us a little bit of that right now? I don't know. I, I like yeah. to think that, that, that may be what he's doing. And um, so, yeah, I, I think it's, no, I don't, I I'm right there with you. It's not like I want suffering. It's not like I want to be, um, you know, we homeschool. Do I want us to uh, be told that we're going to be going to public school? That terrifies me. Gosh, that terrifies me. Um, that terrifies me where, you know, a lot of where, how, how many of our um, rights are going to be here by the time this whole pandemic is quote over, you know, when will it be over? Mm-hmm. I feel like it's going to yeah. be one more thing, you know, over and over and right. over again until right. they have complete control. I could be wrong, but um, I kind of think I'm not. And so, <laughs> you know, I, it's, I know I'm not looking forward to that because I like where I live. I love where I live. I, I live in one of those beautiful places in the, you know, in all of the East, I mean, in Rockport and Gloucester, it's just absolutely dropped at gorgeous. I mean, I could go look at whales there. You know, <laughs> I could, I could go look at sunrises at, at the most beautiful place in the world, you know, right now. And, and gosh, do I have to move? I don't know. Anyway. So no. yeah, right. no, I, no, I, I understand. I have the same, I do the same, I do the same thought process here is just, here's a, something maybe you can help me work through. And this might open up to sort of a good, a good strategy for for other people to think about. So as I was thinking about a lot of things that happened this year, um, you know, obviously I'm disappointed with the state of politics and I'm disappointed with the way many people are responding to the pandemic. Um, And I didn't do air quotes because I don't think it's real. I did it because (laughs) the pandemic has come to encompass a lot of things that are- Yes, everything. (laughs) I think think coronavirus is real, but, you know, because that's immediately what everyone does. Like, oh- Do you remember the Saturday Night Live character where they always put everything in quotes? I I, I did like that. Yeah. All right. Go ahead. But anyways, so there are certain things, obviously, that upset me. I don't like, Um, but I'll be honest, I'm not terribly shocked when- um, when government leaders abuse their power. That's not shocking to me. I expect them to do that. Um, I'm not terribly shocked when, you know, uh, I'm not terribly shocked at the idea that there would be tons of widespread voter fraud. I'm not shocked. I'm not shocked by certain things. What I am shocked by is what appears to be sort of on a large scale and a small scale, people who I would assume to be reasonable, rational people um, responding in ways that seem so, so foolish, I guess. You know, I see many people, I was just looking at today, um, this, this little bakery in New Hampshire is raising some money to fight a legal battle because they were shut down because they didn't do the mask thing or something. And just the comments on this this fundraiser for this little bakery were just so full of hatred, so angry that this bakery, these workers in this bakery wouldn't wear a mask, wouldn't require other people to wear a mask. Just, I'm just seeing this sort of fevered pitch mob mentality on so many things. And I guess that's the part that I don't expect. And that's hard for me to deal with. You know, I see lots of my friends getting whipped up into different movements and using the same kinds of rhetoric. And it really just kind of looks like bullying. You know, there's all kinds of things that go on in the world that I don't like, or that I don't think is wise, but I don't sort of participate in a concerted effort to tear those people or those things down. And there really seems to be that, that sort of spirit 
going on in a lot of different ways. I mean, you even see it here in this in the small town in Kansas where I live. Um, you know, if somebody just has something good to say about one of the Republican um, elected officials, you just get like mobbed. It's just it's just this very strange thing. And that's the thing that I'm having a hard time. I think that's what I'm most disappointed in, if that makes sense. Like I kind of expect there to be chaos and yeah. all these things in the world. But what I don't expect is, I guess, looking out at my fellow Americans and thinking like, can I trust you? Are you a crazy person? Like, are you, do you hate me because I am more conservative than you? Do you hate me because I am a Christian? Like, I, I guess I, I feel that, that, that those questions are much more um, at the top of my mind than I think they've ever been um, in my life. And that's, that's a disappointing feeling that I haven't quite figured out how to work with. Others I don't think we're, really yeah. Well, I think what we're, <laughs> yeah, no, I think, I think, um, I think what we're experiencing is a significant amount of emotional blackmail, you know, an emotional blackmail. I would really encourage your listeners to, to read Susan forward, uh, her book, uh, emotional blackmail. And it's so insightful and it's exactly what's going on right now. And she, she kind of quantifies it as you could recognize it, um, under the acronym of fog, fear, obligation, and guilt. And it's, you know, making these demands that seem really, really reasonable, but they're really not, um, you know, making people feel really selfish, uh, you know, kind of pathologizing, uh, a lot of pathologizing that's going on where mm -hmm. it kind of seems like we're, we're the ones that, that are crazy, um, you know, and just it's, 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 um, and she, if I could remember it, you know, she has these four types of emotional blackmailers that are punishers self-punishers, sufferers, and I think I can't remember what her other one was. Um, and um, punishers are just people that literally just want to get their own way. They want to just do anything. They're going to slander you. They're going to cut you off. They're going to make you look, they're going to, they're going to basically say to you, my way or the highway, they're going to, they're going to totally destroy your reputation without a blink of the eye. You know, I mean, you probably heard about that case where that girl that was kicked out, wasn't invited to her school because she used the N word when she was like 15 in a rap song. And in a rap new, song. And yeah, the guy and held on to it for years so he could use it against her. Yeah. I saw that. Yeah. And he had, and you look at the New York times article and he's just kind of looking at it. It's like, he's all proud, prideful. Our, 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 um, our society is rewarding people who are abusing others, basically, you know, and it's really concerning. Self-punishers are those people that's, this is much more in the trans community. You know, if you, you're, you know, if you don't call me according to your pronoun, you deny my existence and I'm going to, I'm going to do this as a harm to myself. Um, sufferers, you know, it's just like, you know, this is where they just kind of put guilt on you. And I think the fourth one is tantalizers, I believe, where it's oh. just, they just kind of, it's very subtle. It's a very subtle type of manipulation. And um, they, there's a promise of what will be better if you comply. If you did apologize, if you did just like, you know, admit that you're, you know, that you're white, you know, Carmen, and that you are privileged, you know, you can admit it. This. Yeah, white. I know. And those are the, there's a lot of tantalizing <laughs> right. going on as well. Right. And right. so in all of those situations, though, you know, there's these demands and it's a dance, really. And you could it's a same predictable dance that goes on. And it's you see it in social media. You see it on Facebook. You see mm -hmm. it in riots. You see it in publishing companies trying to talk to their, <laughs> to their publishers. Yep. You see mm -hmm. it at churches and it's the same dialogue. And that's why it's a really, really good insightful book because you have to be aware of what the dialogue is. 
because the one thing that Christians, I think it get caught up in is that we have a whole lot of empathy and we're taught to put others before ourselves. And this is where the movement kind of takes advantage and has a lot of power. The movement is very dangerous because it's not only uses the emotion of empathy, it uses the motion, the emotion of contempt. And when those two are brought together, it's really, really deadly. You know, there's a great Greek play called Medea where, um, where she basically is trying to find a way her husband, Jason, I'm not going to go into the whole thing, but she ends up killing her own children to get back at her husband. Cause if she could just find one way to get back at her husband, she's going to do it. And she ends up killing her own kids, even though she loved them mainly because she feeds off the contempt that he would not appreciate her and that he's leaving her for another woman. Now you take that with somebody like Jocasta who ends up marrying at Oedipus, you know, the empathy part, I'm just going to marry and you bring those together, man, you have a really terrible, you have, you have a terrible thing going on. And so what you're doing with this movement is that they're kind of feeding off the, the quote empathy. I'm using the quotes too. I'm like copying yeah. the, the <laughs> empathy of the Christian and then yeah. they're using, and then, then they're mixing it with this kind of emotional blackmail and contempt. And that is, and that as well, excuse me, contempt and empathy is what emotional blackmail is, but the dance looks the same. There's a demand, then there's a resistance, a little bit of resistance, and then there's the pressure. Okay. And then there's the threatening. And then after that, the victim just complies. And then after that, the manipulator just gets his own way. And this is going to be the same thing over and over and over again, until we can just recognize the dance. And the minute you recognize the dance, you do have a psychological part of you that wants to resist control like that. You know, I mean, I always kind of tell couples the best way to stop fighting is to exactly predict what you're going to do when he walks out of the room. What are you going to do? You're going to get upset, and raise your voice. Then he's going to come back and then he's going to raise his voice a little bit more. And then you're going to cry and then he's going to cry with you. And then you're both going to feel defeated. And then you're both going to go maybe have a glass of wine and then you, <laughs> might go, then you might go make love. And then after that, you're going to ignore it. And then you're going to watch Netflix. And the next day, then you're going to kind of act a little bit, you know, weird about it. And then the very next day, you're just going to all come up again. And then you're like, well, wait, I don't want to do that. And you're like, exactly. <laughs> so why don't yeah. you? So, I mean, different. your body, yeah, right. Did I just describe our marriage? I'm kidding. That wasn't my, my <laughs> well, I was going to say, that sounds actually like a way better <laughs> fight than like, I don't know. Right, oh, right. Like, Peter, how did you, how did you, you get to have wine and sex and Netflix? I mean, yeah, right. I don't, when we, when we fight, right. it's not that fun. Yeah, right. No, exactly. <laughs> I know. I, I, a little bit of truth. I'm, maybe I was kind of self-disclosing a little bit too much. I'm sorry, Carmen. No, but I mean, you naturally want to go against that dance. That's all I'm saying. Mm -hmm. And when you want to go against that, you can then start understanding how destructive this is. And now at least you have control. So to kind of answer your question, sorry if it's too long of an answer, no. but it's like, Good. I think once you, I, I have felt so much more empowered in some ways because I, I deal with this on a clinical level that I just see it and I could predict it. And I feel like in a sense, I've been a little quote, I almost did it a little better <laughs> off, I think, because I don't feel so enraptured yet. Now I've mm -hmm. asked me in about four months from now, but I think you have to protect yourself. You don't apologize. You don't go to the victim compliance. You, you, and you try to look at what you can control. And, um, you, if, if you you either can accept the things that, you know, the way they are, or you could try to negotiate with this friend or whoever 
for a healthier relationship. And if they're not willing to do it, then you end it. You end it immediately. And you say, I think you use those words. I think you say, this is an emotional blackmail relationship. I don't want to be into it. I want equality here. I don't, I don't want manipulation. And uh, you call them out and you name it for what it is. And then you move on, you know, and, and um, I, that sounds, I don't think it's cruel at all. I think it's sometimes God sometimes close, you know, when I first met you and I, I met Ian and I met, you know, Brad and I kind of reconnected, I lost four friends, two of which were my best friends. Um, and then I became, I was starting to become bitter and starting to become really sad and even angry and almost wanted to like call them back and just get right back. Like what that, you know, mm -hmm. two of them were very close to me. And then God was like putting somebody else, like right outside, you know, let's start a podcast. And then like you and I met and we, like, we had like this great collaboration. And even though, I mean, nobody's here, like, I, I wouldn't say it's like, but God's putting other the point is, is like, right. God is not just putting you guys, but like other people in my life that have just been really kind of fulfilling those needs that I thought I yeah. needed to continue all this, all this time. It's just anyway. So yeah, no, that's awesome. That's a very good point. I do think you're <laughs> right that when Part of, I think, some of the reasons why I do, um, I feel this more is because I am increasingly more aware of the ways that people do try to manipulate me. Um, like like you, I, I lost a dear friend. Oh, my goodness. A friend of 15 plus years um, over the dumbest thing. You know, she got mad about a meme that I sent, that I posted. She texted me about it. The text was very accusatory and, you know, claiming that I was doing all these things that I wasn't doing. And, you know, in a different stage of my life, I probably would have been very like, oh, I'm so sorry. You know, like, but I said, you know, I said, I get that you don't like this meme. I understand your point of view. Um, obviously, I'm not trying to hurt your feelings or any or anybody's feelings, but I stand by the message of the meme. I think it's true. Um, if you want to talk about whether or not it's true, then we could do that. Um, but I'm not really, I'm not, I'm not really sorry that I shared it. Like, you know, like my, and when I was, I was nicer than that, but that was essentially my, my, my position was like, I'm not, I get what you're trying to do to me and I'm not going to do it. I'm just going to acknowledge that we disagree and I'm going to keep doing what I want to do. And, you know, we're no longer friends and it's painful, but on this, on the same, at the same time, um, I think my relationships in general are much healthier with the people that are in my life because I recognize that. And I even recognize it in myself. I recognize when I'm trying to be kind of manipulative, <laughs> like, you know, when I, when I'm doing things where I'm kind of like, eh, I'm basically, I'm using, I'm not being fair. You know, I, sure. people have been yeah. so unfair to me that I sort of have realized more often that like, that's not really true. That's not really my motivation. It sounds uh -huh. good. Like, you know, but I'm. Yeah. Well, it's funny. The so. Susan Forer book, I was equally just as convicted as um, <laughs> it really is like, it does this kind of almost like toilet washing inside of yourself first. And yeah. then you kind of look at it at other anyway. So that's funny you say that. Yeah. We're, we're just as guilty. I think yeah. <laughs> we can be. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, you've got to become aware of it for sure. Um, no, that's helpful. Basically what I'm hearing from you so far is that. It's very valid to feel disappointed. There's real reasons to feel that disappointment. Um, it's very biblical to feel disappointment. It's a Christian 
emotion and expectation that we would look at the world and be grieved by things that are going on and even more grieved by things that are going on in the church. I think, like you said, like you touched on earlier, that's the hard, that's a really hard part, right? Because think of how amazing it would be as if in the midst of so much of this, we could look at a really strong, unified, you know, biblically literate church that was resisting this stuff in a strong, consistent way. Like that would be such a comfort, but we don't have that, you know, like it's happening on a much smaller individual level, you know, maybe a little church here and there, or a church leader or an individual doing this. It's not sort of this, this unified body, you know, which is what obviously the ideal that Christ gave us is to be this functioning body working together. Um, mm. Well, and also, I just want to show, you know, just I, I'm I'm not that you're looking for pity points, but, but that's awful what happened with you and your friend. And I, yeah, oh, I, I hear you. you. And it's I've been there twice, three times, you know, and it, it, it does <laughs> it does some damage inside. It really does. Right. It does. It yeah. You stop trust. You know, I still probably have a part that doesn't trust people, um, you know, and I've I have my own therapist, you know, and I he's really helped me maneuver some of that uh, a lot. But it, there's still he that protective part that kind of does this waiting for you to do something that might hurt. He might be there mm -hmm. for the rest of my life, you know, mainly because of what had happened. And he really helped me. Cause I, I think it's good that you respect where that part's coming from and not let the part just overly dominate you. Cause then you're like, you never want to talk to anybody, you know, and then you right. let all that, that's how bitterness really kind of takes advantage of people. And I think, honestly, I wonder how much of that, is compensation from people that are so bitter and they're so angry all the time. What are they compensating for? What do you, you know, what's, what's, wh how are, what are you doing? That's really fulfilling your own loneliness. And kind of like what we talked about in our last podcast, try to make it into a reflective question here. You know, why, why is this bothering you so much? What is it? Wh what do you feel so threatened by? And it's just, I often find when I could get people, away from speaking for everybody out here and just speaking for themselves if they're willing to do that. I mean, because that's really the thing. I think going on your friend or, you know, my other friends as well, they, you know, that they were so, it was so hard for them just to speak for themselves it, mm -hmm. when we had this breakup. And it saddens me just to think that we probably won't ever have a beer together again or ever have, you know, them over our house. And it's, there's some really hurt, hurt memories there. Yeah. And just yeah. to be really slandered by your friends, though, is is deep because, you know, the, the psalmist talks about that. It's like, you know, my enemies is one thing, but your own friends. But going back on again, I think this is why I think we need to feel the pain is because I think that's exactly what Jesus felt when he looked at Judas and Judas walks over and gives him a kiss, you know, with a kiss, Judas. Right. You know? I, that's why I would go there. I'd go there. I would weep there. I would let that emotion stay with us. And, and, and because it's like, Hmm, that's some Christ had that, you know, and man, I'm going to sit with that. I'm going to sit with it because, but I'm not going to become, I'm not going to go to the place of, con, you know, contempt where yeah. I blame and, and become critical and look down upon others. And, um, that's, you know, as a marriage counselor, that's really what divorce, that's, that's why, that's why people divorce is contempt. You know, it's the number one reason it's not affairs. It's not finances. I mean, those things can help. They're not helping, but I mean, it's, yeah. it's really, it's yeah. to the point where she looks upon her partner or he looks upon her and says, I'm disgusted. 
And when that's there, there's nothing more I can do. I'm just kind of like, I walk them through the divorce basically. And even though I don't really like that, but I would much rather at least help them cordially end the marriage right, so right, the kids right. aren't affected. Anyway. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. A, no, I hear you. That's an important yeah. insight for sure. <laughs> yeah. Well, I like, I like that, that that's a good boundary. I think, you know, um, like we've kind of covered disappointment covers a lot of things can can lead you in some dark places but maybe a good a good place to know where you need to stop and and reconsider is when you're getting to that contempt place you know that place of like who can i blame who can i hate you know who can i lash out on for this that's going to make me feel better i think obviously that's a that's a place you don't want to go and it's like you've said it's i see that fueling so much of what is the most disappointing about our current cultural climate is people disgusted with others for things that aren't even like, you know, like there are so many labels that are imputed onto me that have nothing to do with me. Like there, there are disgusting labels. You, you should be disgusted if I am actually any of those things, but I'm not actually those things. You know, you've constructed a reality where, you know, I'm, I'm a bigot and I'm a racist and I'm this and those things are disgusting. True. But whether or not I actually am is not really the discussion. You know, it's just that I, you know, it's just put on you. Well, and I think, and also clinically too, if I could bring some hope here, I've yeah. also seen a lot of hope and I've also seen a lot of reconciliation when people do. The only way for them to really truly get over their contempt is sharing their needs and feelings in a general way. And how that looks like is to, bring a sense of exoneration for themselves through God or through, you know, if they're a secular person through a therapist, I, I do believe that could happen, but mainly through the Lord, you know, is a, and when that occurs, it's, it's, it's crazy how those people will often call back and call. And I've seen it. I've seen um, my own clients, you know, get really deal with a lot of their contempt and they, they call their dad and they cry with them and say, dad, I'm sorry. And I've seen it's, it's beautiful when it really does yeah. happen, but it takes a little bit of work. And the work is, well, the work is, is, is work. It's not work. It's, it's self-reflection that I'm just as capable. You know, I think mm -hmm. if there's a proverb I want to give to every single person that's canceling everybody, not a proverb, but, um, a, 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 you know, a passage it's, it's Jesus. When he says, let he who is without sin cast the first stone, you know, that's it. <laughs> and so the older then walk away. And then finally the younger. So the younger ones were the last ones to walk away. And why is that? <laughs> yeah, I think it's because they honestly really didn't feel like they were, that they were capable of an adultery of adultery. Yeah. And here are the old guys. Yeah. The old guys are like, Oh yeah. Yeah. I kind of went through the pagan temple over there and I really wanted to commit adultery, but I didn't. Yeah. I probably shouldn't do this. So I'm going to walk away. Or this guy's like, Oh yeah, actually I did do that when I was like 30. So I'm going to walk away. And the younger guys, the social justice warriors are 18, 17, always on Twitter, even though they're living <laughs> in their mother's basement, probably, you know, and just, you know, they're all ready. And then they're, they're the hardest ones to really self-reflect. And mm -hmm. I think what social media has done is that echo chamber of, Groupthink, where it's like constantly flattering you, always yeah. telling you what you want to hear. But I do think it could help you. I do think it could help. I think it could help. I, excuse me. I, I could. I think it could heal. But again, going back to the gospel, that is why we need it. Is because adding guilt where God has left us free is not going to heal us. You know, right. and um, we've become vague. We've become lost and shallow by losing what's most important, and that's the gospel. Yeah. And I. 
I, I think Christians, I like, I love Stacey House because it's like, we have to be mean again. Cause I often, <laughs> I, I often teach people like to state their feelings and issues and needs first and foremost, you know, prior to pleasing anybody else. And um, that's very, very hard for them. You know, if you could just, and I think the most essential thing is in this case is, is, you know, kind of what I was saying earlier is, is the cross, you know, I have to worry about other people much, you know, much you know, much later, but anyway, if you, mm-hmm. if we, if I think there's, there can be some real healing if we, if we can do this anyway. Yeah. No, that's great. Well, and actually maybe this, this might be a good, I'd like your thoughts on this and we can, maybe we can end on this. I've been kind of thinking about, I need to be doing more intentional sort of building social media content, especially as I prepare, you know, to potentially launch a book and do different things. I kind of need right now. It's just like, pictures of what I'm eating, <laughs> like my family, I need to do more like, you know, useful content to the world. And so I've been thinking about, and I feel like- I think it's great. Stuff. I love it. <laughs> Thanks. I, so. I mean, everyone needs to see a picture of fried chicken and a donut. The fried chicken looked amazing with the donut. <laughs> was, was that a donut that you good. had? Was, oh my gosh, that looked amazing. It was very yes. good. It, was, it looked really good. <laughs> no regrets, no disappointment on that. <laughs> That's um, awesome. But what I've been thinking about is, um, what, what brought it to my attention was, uh, so this, this gal came to me asking for advice. She was going into the same de- degree program that I went into years ago, um, a liberal arts degree program. And one of the professors was insisting that she had to read Lolita or she wouldn't be able to, uh, get an English degree, which isn't true. You don't have to read any one book to get the degree. You know, you can like take a zero on one assignment and whatever. Um, and she didn't want to read Lolita because she didn't want to read about, a creepy pedophile, um, which, you know, I think, I, I think I maybe would have read it and then like analyzed it and tore it to shreds. That would have been my response. But I, I, I get if someone doesn't want to like go into that world. So basically I was trying to think through how to help her have this conversation with this professor who's being really pushy about how she's not, she doesn't want to read it. She's not going to read it. And I reached out to a friend of mine who was in the degree program too. And he said, the most effective way for you to do this is to use the language of therapy. Have this girl go to this professor and talk about how it's going to be triggering and it's going to be abuse and it's going to be violence. You know, to use all these words that are so popular and basically take those therapeutic terms and really use them against this goal that they have. And I was like, oh, that's a really interesting idea. Like, that's kind of like, that probably would work. You know, I didn't follow up with her to know if she did or didn't. But that got me thinking about, I wonder if, obviously, a version of that is already done in Christian content, where Christians have taken the language of therapy and sort of added some Christianese, and they basically kind of recreate what the world says, but it sounds more Christian. But I was thinking, what if I could find a way to use more of this language of therapy and self-reflection with the intention of getting some of these um, social justice types to be more self-aware, you know, Um, which obviously is kind of a tall order. But I guess just thinking off the top of my head is something like, what kind of content could I produce that would make them be able to be more empathetic to Christian people? Because, you know, so many of these people have lots of empathy, but it only goes so far. Like, it's got its limits, and its limits stop at, like, white people, Christians, um, traditional people, people of traditional lifestyles, um, just these certain groups where empathy is not allowed to be, you know, 
extended to in any kind of really significant way. So I would just be curious on your thoughts on that, if that sounds like something interesting or if you've seen that done before or if I'm kind of on the right track of maybe finding a way to use social media in a way to, I don't know, shake things up a little bit. Gosh, yeah, let me think about that. I think, um, well, one of the exercises I would encourage you to do is to look over John Gottman's compromise exercise. And I love the way he puts um, he puts it. It's almost like an avocado you know, the nut is the most important thing. And then the squishy part is the least important thing. And the reason why mm. there's so much nagging in relationships is because she or he is so focused on all the non-essentials, but they've never, they have failed to, to state their core bones, the thing they cannot live without first and foremost, when they're communicating. And when you watch people communicate, it's usually why, you know, over time, she will argue about the way your books are alphabetized and not alphabetized. And, you know, she'll really get very, very upset that he didn't put the cumin on the egg. You know, it just, what, you know, what's going on there. And I, what I often have found when I'm doing a lot of couples is that it's usually because they have not stated the most important thing that they cannot live without. And the reason why is because they feel if they were to do that, it would be selfish of them. And, um, it's quite the contrary, you know, if you were to stay, if you were to, to do, start with that, you actually do become a lot more flexible. So the minute she's able to say in a triangle, such as I feel about what I need, it's a good way for me to remember, I feel hurt that you didn't include me last night when, um, you know, uh, you were hanging out with your friends. I just need you to at least give me a little bit of time with my own girlfriends so I can get some, some time away from the kids. Bam. That is really, really, really often very, very, very hard for her to say because it's like, well, I don't want to bother him. He should have known that anyway. She's focused. And then what happens is that she then kind of feels like a doormat and then she becomes kind of bitter. And that's when she starts focusing on all the little teeny tiny weensy particulars why didn't you do this? And then you're late over here. And then you, and then, you can, and then she starts to nag and now she doesn't really like herself anymore. Mm. And then her husband kind of like wants to hang out. He wants to, you know, hang away from her even more. And it's just a very ugly cycle. But if I can get them to start with that, what is your core need? And it may take a while. I feel about what I need. I feel really very um, concerned about the black community in my town, because I've seen a lot of racism, I at least need to see the churches that are predominantly white to reach out to the African-Americans in our community so they don't feel isolated. Oh, okay. You're nodding your head. I'm actually nodding my head. That doesn't sound like mm. social. I'm like, all right, let's sit down. Yeah. yeah, that's a dang good need. Mm -hmm. But you're not getting that. You're getting right. all of the other crap that we're seeing. Right. But if you right. can get them to that point, you got somewhere, you have something. Yeah. Then you're like, huh? Cause I lived in Mississippi and I actually was a liberal when I first came to Massachusetts because I saw a lot of racism, mm -hmm. a lot of white churches. I became pretty, I'm, I became much more liberal or I was more liberal back then. And now I'm not, but anyway, I won't go into <laughs> that. but you know, I, I could get on with that, that, you mm -hmm. know, I'm like, okay, you know what? I've been in communities where that's actually been the case. Let's talk about it. Let's dialogue. Maybe, maybe I do read, you know, a book that would challenge me that I often wouldn't read. I don't know. 
So talking to your friend, I would challenge her to say, what is your core need? And state that to your professor. I feel what? Do um, I feel at odds or, you know, um, I feel, I guess, uh, I don't want to use traumatized and all of those stuff. And the problem with a lot of yeah. that is it's like, it's kind of hijacks from the core need a little bit. Right, right. But I feel um, torn reading this book because it has to do with something that I'm really uncomfortable with. Anyway, something like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that, yeah. you know, I need, I need you to understand that this is really uncomfortable for me. Something like, I don't know if that's the best, but yeah. you know, I would get her to think about it. So I, I like his, I like his issue of compromise. But the other thing too, without going too long, I would I would also recognize that that person likely has a part of them that's very, very protective and mm-hmm. that is flooding them in the moment. And um, it's only uncovering or trying to deal with or trying to heal the very part of them that they are also very ashamed of. So there is a lot of hiding. And I make that assumption about anybody that that's flooded, that, that is that flooded causing a significant amount of damage. I'm not excusing it. If anything, it could be very, you know, hell is paved with very good intentions. And that's mm. the quote, good intentions right there. So it's just, I don't, right. yeah, I, yeah. I hope I've answered the question. I think I did. No, no, that's interesting. <laughs> that's a good, that, so that triangle is what it's, I think I feel I, or what? well, I feel about what I need. I feel, uh, I, I feel blank. I, about what, what's the issue? I need what? And the reason why I love that uh, is because if you just talk about, I need, you do look like you're pretty selfish. If you only talk about what you feel, but you're not talking you're about annoying. your needs or even about the issue. Yeah. Right. I you, think it's annoying first. Sure. <laughs> well, it is. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just like, okay. Yeah. <laughs> feel a lot though. What? Yeah. <laughs> it's too much, <laughs> but well, you're right. When it yeah. has the need, when the need is there, that's way less annoying. It is. <laughs> well, it's self-disclosure. It goes from criticism to it go. You're you're trying to get the person from criticism to to constructive feedback. Mm-hmm. You know, criticism. You statements. This is one of the reasons why I despise the critical race theory crap. Is because it's cre- the anti-racism, especially what Imran mm-hmm. Kendi and all this other stuff. Because he's building a community. He's he's building a community that's going to be completely unable to ever have compromise. And I, it's going to be terrible because it's all about them being victims and everybody else totally getting blamed for everything. And that is not going to be good. It's going to be really, really, really cancerous in the long run. And um, what you're wanting to do is not build, you know, it, this kind of critical environment. Excuse me. You don't just want communication where it's just purely criticism. You want it to get into constructive feedback so that I can understand what you are talking about give me I statements, not you statements. So you immediately let off your defenses when you hear, you know, the comment that I just made about that person who has all those concerns about African-Americans in those communities. Our heart just immediately just kind of goes out to that person. We don't feel mm-hmm. defensive at all because it's not right. criticism. It's, it's possible constructive feedback. And I'm learning so much more about this person than them describing everyone else. So if I can yeah. get the person to just, I just want you to work less. I want to hear your heart. Start with that. I want to hear you. I want to hear you. Okay. <laughs> I, right. I, I never have a real defensive husband who's just yelling and everything else. He, he, I've never had a guy walk, get up and walk out when I say, John, you know, give me your heart, buddy. You know, look at me, you know, no, help me out. You know, I, I, I think people ultimately will remember that and feel cared for. Mm-hmm. You know, because that's what yeah. you're fighting for. Right. Not, yeah. No, not I like BS. it. 
I yeah. like that anyway. as a as a rule, <laughs> as a general rule of if we could just hear each other, you know, instead of because we talked about this in the other podcast. Like I said, you guys mm. should go listen to that. It's called Loving Others in a Woke World. But this idea that right now it's such a weird thing for everyone to speak for everyone else to be like, I'm offended on behalf of all these people. Here's how you and your people are bad, you know, and it's so mm-hmm. it's so such a such an unfulfilling way to talk about anything. Um, you don't leave it really feeling like you accomplished anything, you know, and, and right, somebody right. leaves feeling very guilty. Somebody leaves feeling very vindicated. And it's just, it's not really true. You know, life doesn't really work like that. There's not this big class of homogeneous victims and this big class of homogeneous oppressors. Like it's it's much more complicated and interesting than that. So I think that strategy of, how can I actually know what's going on with you specifically, what you specifically need and want, and then we can have a conversation about it. Yeah. Really good. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Well, thanks for just doing some therapy with me, Peter. Good. I needed it. <laughs> yes, right. Yeah. <laughs> I needed it. Let's do it again. I can just have a, I could have a whole Stacios uh, series. It could just be called Carmen Goes to Therapy. Hey, yeah, I'd be glad to do it like once every few months or something. Yeah, yeah. I think that actually that would be humorous. It would be fun. Yep. I could post it on my my uh, yeah, website yeah. as well, maybe. Mental health check. Yeah, right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. Well, oh, always, man. always fun to talk to you. Let's do this again. Oh, do you want to plug your podcast real quick? Oh, sure. Yes. Oh. Found engagement. We're taking a um, we're taking a little a, a small hiatus because Brad is moving everything else. We're, um, but we're, we should be back in about a week or two. Um, we're gonna, yeah, we try to have a guest on or we, we talk um, about once every two weeks or so. Yeah. And awesome. it's yeah, we, we have a lot of fun. Yeah, we, we've had some good conversations on there. So please check yes. us out. Yes. Sound engagement. Sound engagement <laughs> yeah. podcast with Peter Anderson and Brad Mills. Yes. Thanks for listening, everybody.